Welcome to episode 122 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Do you want to be filmed discussing gender over dinner? That may not be the exact quote, but it's essentially what I gleaned from the email I was reading. I had a million questions and a few reasons I almost said no before reading any further. For starters, the dinner was going to be held in New York City, and I live in Boston. But the person asking had already interviewed me on her podcast, and we had met through a mutual friend whom I truly admire. It felt like an opportunity to meet really quality people, so I didn't overthink. I said yes. I knew I couldn't justify spending a night in a New York City hotel, so I looked for and found a bus option that would get me to the city by 2 p.m. and leaving again at 10.30 p.m. Yes, I traveled about 10 hours to and from Boston to spend less time than that in New York City. It was worth it. Not just because I attended a lovely dinner and met really interesting people, including new guests for my podcast, and not just because that show may air on Netflix or Amazon. The reason I'm so, so glad I said yes to this opportunity is that it made another gathering possible that day. By chance, three of the four people in my mastermind, not the one I host, the one I pay to participate in, were going to be in New York City that day. And through a completely random question that I posed to our group, that coincidence became known to the four of us in time to plan to meet up. The fourth member of our cohort flew up from Florida for the afternoon just to join us. This was the first time we have ever met in person after being in a mastermind together all year. Our year together is sadly coming to a close, so it was extra special to have this time together in person. With members constantly traveling for work or because they are location independent, it felt like we would never be in the same country, much less the same city. Meeting in person really solidified our relationship, and I know we're going to stay connected and continue to support each other. Like I said last week, saying yes, not with a specific outcome in mind, but because you know good things come from saying yes. Your challenge this week. Just think for a moment how my story would have turned out if I had found out two days later that the three of us had been in New York City at the same time. Two days too late. Don't let this happen to you. Share your travel plans with friends who live in the city you're traveling to and your nomadic or frequent flyer friends who might end up there as well. Whenever you book a trip, make a note in your calendar to reach out to these friends and colleagues three weeks prior. You control whether you're planning a large group to go out for drinks, a small dinner party, or you just plan to meet someone for coffee. Just be sure you don't miss the opportunity altogether. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, on to this week's show. Today's guest deeply believes people owe it to themselves to be happy at work and that everyone can be a leader regardless of their role within an organization. As a career and executive coach, she has helped people and businesses in areas such as workplace communication, 
leadership development, and team building across many different sectors and industries. She brings over 25 years of professional experience to her clients as a certified professional co-active coach, a graduate of the Co-Active Space Leadership Program, has an MBA from Boston University, and is a partner with the Motivation Factor Program and Indicator. She was selected as one of the top 10 executive coaches by the readers of Women's Business Boston in 2008, and her podcast, Work From the Inside Out, showcases the stories and practical lessons learned from people who have experienced major career transitions and have found satisfying and meaningful work. Please join me in welcoming Tammy Gulerlob. Thank you, Robbie. Um, Tammy, I, it's such a pleasure to have you on this show. Thank you for joining me from your office in Newton, Massachusetts, which is just a, a little hop, skip, and jump outside of Boston, Massachusetts. Um, I get to see and talk to you quite often throughout the year, but we haven't had a chance to really sit down and talk about these topics. So this is a podcast about leadership and building strong networks. So tell me, what does leadership mean to you? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Well, leadership means a few things to me. Uh, I think about leadership as being some about a quality that somebody has in which they are setting an example for other people. They are also invested in other people's learning. And the, the root of their leadership comes from a place of wanting to contribute to the greater good or something larger than themselves. So I think about the best kinds of leadership has very little ego attached to it. And when I discovered myself as a leader, I actually gave this some thought. I, uh, when I was in fourth grade, I was, um, my, oh, when I was in fourth grade, my brother was in middle school and he was helping a friend of his run for student council president in the middle school. And I thought that was so cool. Um, also, when I was in fourth grade, we were in the middle of a presidential election and there were a bunch of us who came from families where we talked about those kinds of things. So there was that kind of leadership as well. And I decided that I didn't understand why my elementary school didn't have a student council. So I decided it was time to start one. I felt fairly empowered as a, as a nine-year-old. And I went to the principal's office and I said, I would like to start a student council and I would like to run for president. And so the principal's office said, sure, let's, let's do this. And they found a teacher who was willing to be the student council advisor. And I went around to a bunch of different classrooms in the elementary school. And I told all the kids why I thought I should be student council president. I had no idea what we were going to do as a student council, but I thought it was a great idea for the students to have a voice in how the school ran. So I would say that that was probably an early memory of me thinking of myself as a leader. But I will tell you that that image of leadership really, um, it, 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 it really fit in with what I just told you I think leadership is. And that was, it wasn't about me. It was about bringing something into the school that was going to benefit the student body. And that I felt like we needed to have a voice. 
this is such an amazing story. And I feel like I could have known you for decades and not learned this about you. I also really appreciate that you dug deep and went way back to grade school. A lot of my guests, they start talking about business school or law school or the first days of their corporate career. And I'm always like, dial it back, you know, but you, you've been a listener. So you know, I was going to ask that question. So you dug a little deeper. I mean, this is a, such a interesting and telling example of who you are and how you think about leadership that you looked at what your brother was doing and how he was helping his friend and his, you know, they're a few years older, they're in a different school. And you thought, well, why not here? Why not us? And I will take the lead in making this happen and clearly articulated this in a way that the, you know, powers that be in that principal's office thought, you know what, this could only work to our favor. <laughs> yeah. In fact, um, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll share a little, a little uh, more transparency around that. My father was a school psychologist in the school district where I grew up. And um, I thought of the school principal and the teachers as people rather than these all-knowing, powerful beings. And so I felt very empowered from a young age to walk into the principal's office and say, I have a concern about something going on with my teacher or something going on with my school. And it, it reached a point where every time I would walk into the principal's office, he was kind of a stern, serious man. He'd come out of the office and he'd say, what is it now, Tammy? <laughs> And I tell you that because I, I did I did feel empowered, and I think that that's um, and I felt empowered to speak what was on my mind, and and yet I I realize now I look back on that and I think I don't think I really had any specific expectations about what would come of that. I think I just wanted to be heard, mm -hmm. and I think that great leaders are people who let who help other people feel heard, feel their voices heard. It's not about agreement or everybody being on the same page all the time. But I think when you can model that kind of leadership to, uh, to make sure that all voices are heard, that's, that's really powerful. I also like to underscore this piece about how you, because your own parent was a, a staff member, you thought, well, all of these staff members are people with families and I can relate to them and they don't have to be scary and behind a door. And so I'm sure as you walked in and became familiar with people, you did more of it. So I'm sure you'll be shocked to know that I started a recycling club <laughs> when I was in, um, in, in high school in like ninth grade, I believe. Yeah, I think it was ninth grade. And I went to a, a graduating class. My graduating class was about 1,300 people. It was a suburban high school. It was really, really big. Um, so each each building had two classes. So we're talking nearly three thousand students um, in, in, the, in the building, right? So I started something that then took over the whole district, and it all started because I went to the principal, assistant principal. Um, he had said we should do something like this. I said I want to do this, and then. I was like, well, why is it happening? He's like, well, there's a lot of people involved. And he sort of talked about it as if it was like big and hard and difficult. I found out who organized the pickups of all the, the trash and ca called and said, I'm a student. I want to talk to this person. And they put me through. And then she came to our building and talked to that uh, assistant principal. 
And I had actually no idea what was going on in this, in this meeting. Like I was there as a third party and it was so above my head what they were discussing. But they were both really on the same side and they just had, because of red tape and politics, they had never had the opportunity to really connect in that way. And ha- I realized the value of being that student allowed, was empowering and it let me sort of bring them together. And we kicked off something that, that stayed for many years in that district. So, I, you know, like you, I was like walking in, I got to know the, the you know, secretary's names. <laughs> and my mother always said, know their names, know their kids' names, know their dogs' names. <laughs> like, get to know them as people. So what an important piece is to not think people are so far off and unapproachable. That is what made you feel empowered. And because they listened to you, you felt heard. Exactly. And I love your example because it also shows that it wasn't even about you. It was about bringing something to your school community and doing some good. And then really you were a catalyst for something that was ripe to happen. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you just have to see those opportunities. And I think the other thing I heard there that I, I think is also important to leadership is just showing up, mm-hmm. showing up and making a suggestion and and holding the other people around you big enough to know that somebody's going to step in and be responsive. Mm-hmm. I think people too often think that people who are leaders have to do all the work or that they have to carry the load. And I think I think a great leader is somebody who actually shares the load and um and really empowers and enables other people to pick up things and run with them. Including offering ideas, right? That Absolutely. the ideas don't have to come from leadership. No. Um, in they both don't. our examples, it was really that we we were willing to offer suggestions and then people yeah. had higher status level or more authority or access, they were able to kind of make things happen, but it isn't always their idea. Or they feel like they can't do it without your input. Right. And the other point that um, you you brought up in my introduction was the idea that anyone can be a leader. And there there I was as a as a nine or ten year old, you were, you know, a, a young teenager and we were making things happen. Mm-hmm. And it, we weren't technically in any kind of a leadership role. It wasn't a functional role. And so that's, that's something I think is vitally important about leadership is that it's, leadership isn't really a function. It's, it's a, a presence that you mm-hmm. bring to an entity. So you and I got to know each other uh, through a variety of ways, but I, I've, I've always been sort of fascinated by the work that you do because you you work to help people be happier in the work that they do and to help them find that happiness. And um, I don't know if this is a current stat, but is it like 30% of the workforce is happy? Is that about Oh, I think that's probably, unfortunately, I don't even think it's that high. Oh, that's awful. I, I mean, I hope you're right. I'm not sure of the exact stat and where they get them from, but I guess because of the work I do, I'm, I'm always hearing about the people who are unhappy. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and unhappiness can come in a, in a variety of, of shapes and forms anyway, but there's a lot of people out there who are going to work every day and are, you know, very purposeful in going to work and yet aren't really enjoying their day-to-day lives at work. And mm-hmm. that makes me terribly sad and frustrated because, especially because 
especially here in this country, and I think it's true in other countries too, but so many of us have been have lived fairly privileged lives. And I'm not talking about living with a certain amount of wealth, but as in, in general across the U.S., we have an education system where most of us get at least a decent, if not excellent education. Um, and I know there are other countries that are surpassing us in some ways, but we still, we're educated people. We have opportunities here in this country to develop ourselves as adults, as professionals, as working people, and to do all the things that it takes to reach that point in your life and then to end up unhappy or unfulfilled to me is, it's just a downright crime. Mm. So what do you, um, what makes you sort of feel most rewarded in the work that you're doing? Wow, that's a big question. Um, I think the thing that makes me feel the most rewarded is to know that I can be, I'll tell you what it is. I think of myself as Tupperware. I'm a container. Uh-huh. I hold the container in which people can uh, deepen their self-discovery, gain significant clarity and direction and focus about who they want to be in the world. And I do it mostly in the context of career and work. I also work with executives, some of whom, you know, are really like what they do, but they want to do certain things better. I hold the space. I hold the container in which they get that work done. And so when I see them gaining that clarity, I see their shoulders going down. They're more at ease with themselves and with others. They're getting the results that they've been aiming for. For some people, it's years in coming that this happens. To me, those are the most rewarding things, to see people just feeling like what they're doing and who they're being day to day is really far more satisfying and fulfilling than it ever has been. So in some sense, you could work with anybody because so many people are unhappy. But I imagine that there's some self-selecting going on that the kinds of people that are drawn to the kinds of services and coaching you offer have already at least gotten to the point where they're thinking it's possible that something can shift. They, they don't know what it will shift towards. They don't know how hard it'll be. They're not even sure if they can actually do it, but they're, are, are they just more open to the idea of maybe than other people? And is that why they then say, okay, I, I want some kind of coach? Yes and no. <laughs> um, I would say that's true for most people, that they come to coaching with an idea that, they, they, that they're ready for some sort of change and that they're ready to take some action around that. I do think there are some people who find their way to me who think that I have, you know, like a, a secret box with jobs in it where I'm going to hand them jobs. Um, or that uh, that I have deep knowledge or answers for them about particular industries, which I really don't. I have some, but because I've done this work for so long, I, I've gotten to know lots of different industries. But I would say that most people who um, come 
ready for change are um, have already experienced some change already or have become uh, so unhappy that they, they know there's got to be something better. But I do think that the spirit in which they think about what's possible can vary dramatically. Mm-hmm. And so there are some people who, for whom the glass is always half empty. And, and even when they're looking to make a change and make improvement, they're not already... Um, they're not necessarily uh, ready to embrace the glass is half full yet. Mm-hmm. So it, it depends. It really, it really varies dramatically. I would say that the people who I enjoy working with most have a sense that it's possible, at least, that the glass can be half full, if not even more full than that. And that they are really ready to embrace a process or I would say really embrace a partnership with me. I think of coaching as a partnership. It's it's a it's a process where we work together to uh, achieve certain results and uh, address certain goals. So it's not me doing all the work. It's not them doing all the work. We really do partner and work together. Yeah, and it sounds like you also have to meet them where they are, um, and yeah. only take them as far as they think they are trying to get even though you can envision a world bigger than that, they, they aren't able to see it until they turn effort. Yeah. Yes. And, and I, you know, there are certain things I can do to, uh, depending on how much they want to be challenged, there are things that I can do to, um, to really get them to see that the possibilities are far greater than they could have ever imagined. Um, at the same time, I'm not trying to sell anybody, you know, um, I'm not trying to sell anyone <laughs> a bridge for $24. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm a realist. I'm very pragmatic and practical, but I also believe in going after dreams and things that you really want for yourself. Um, so it's a blend between dreaming and making sure that business so is taken care of. So you've been in this coaching practice for nearly two decades, and uh, I imagine a lot has changed in that time. Um, the whole entire workforce, entire industries have come up. In fact, it was about 20 years ago um, that my father told me that I would have four careers between 20 and 40. And he'd read an article, and it, yeah. he, and it was sort of like the takeaway was, your ability to, um, you know, take your skill set and move it from one job to the other was more important than what you did. Um, yeah, totally agree with that. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of statistics out there about how many times people change careers, and I think there's, you know, it's one thing to change your career. In, in let's say that you have a certain skill set that you enjoy using and you change industries. That's not necessarily changing careers in the purest sense. But there are people who also completely change their functional role. I'll give you a great example. I had a client who was in his late 50s. He came to me. Um, he had been a software engineer. And he had a real deep interest in affordable housing development. Well, there's not much of a translation between working in the for-profit, you know, high-tech information technology business and then saying, oh, I think I'll go work for, you know, a public housing 
organization or, um, you know, or community development corporation. And he also happened to be a very um, shy person. And uh, he looked older than he was. And he's one of my favorite stories to tell because I was very concerned that he wouldn't present well in interviews or, and that he wouldn't engage well around networking. And we worked together for about six or seven months. And he was, you know what? He wanted this really badly. And so we worked together. He overcame some of the barriers that were getting in the way of him making some good connections out there. He um, started to, to do some volunteer work with some of the community development corporations. He started to get to know people. This was all with my, of course, my help. But um, he ended up getting a wonderful management job in uh, one of the um, public housing authorities. And he, I keep in touch with him. We, we, we exchange holiday cards every year. And every year he tells me how happy he is at work. And I just love that story because I do think that a lot of people think it's not possible to make those kinds of changes, uh, especially as dramatic as he had to. Um, and and I would say, don't ever say it's not possible. The only reason why it's not possible is because mm-hmm. you think it's not possible. Um, but it is true. If you think about how many people you know who majored in a certain discipline in college and look at what they're doing today totally different from what their major was in college. Uh, You know, college more often than not is not really preparing you for the world of work. It's preparing you for, I don't know, increasing your knowledge and some of your skills, but it doesn't necessarily prepare you for work. In certain disciplines, it does. Um, But I, I think that today, especially if people need to think like an entrepreneur when it comes to their career, it's very, very important. So the, the whole piece about, you know, networking is the best way to get your next job, there's, that is so true. It's incredible. Um, but to think entrepreneurially about your own career, to, to feel like you are in charge of your own career and your own destiny is far more important mm-hmm. now than it ever was. You know, our parents, my father worked at the right. same <laughs> job for over 30 years. And he retired and he has a pension. You know, that doesn't exist in most companies so, anymore. Um, I just want to go back to this piece about uh, you need to network to get your next job. I, what I found um, sort of one of the big uh, faux pas that I see is that people only start to network or what they think is networking when they have already lost their job. And they and I, I try to describe this to people that your network is like an insurance policy. You buy insurance hoping to never use it, but you're so grateful it's there when you need it. And it's the same thing about building and nurturing a network. You never expect you know, your life to go up in flames in some metaphorical sense, I hope only. Um, but sometimes it happens and you've got to start over. Oh no, it's yeah. not metaphorical. It happens. I mean, yeah. maybe not in flames exactly, but it feels like that. It can be devastating for people. And you're absolutely right. I think 20 years ago, maybe, maybe longer, people would network when they needed their next job. What does that mean? They would have conversations with people. They would talk to people. They'd let people know they're looking. Today, it, that's the hugest mistake. If you land a job and then you stop talking to all those people, that's the biggest mistake anyone can make. 
it doesn't mean that you have to be constantly in touch with, you know, these large numbers of people. However, you should find a way, and we have easy tools for us to do that these days. You should find a way to just keep in touch with some, maybe some core group of people at least. I'll tell you another quick story. I had a client who um, had been in the same job for 18 years in the same role. So there was really no movement there. She came to me. I started talking with her about networking to look for her next role. She was very resistant to it, didn't like the idea of it at all, and you know, felt very awkward about it all. Well, I, I worked my magic on her a little bit and got her to start networking. And sure enough, she landed a new job that she's really happy in. I got this beautiful letter from her a couple of maybe four or five months after she started the new job. And in that letter, she said to me, I will never make that mistake again of losing track of all these people I knew. I built a network this time and I'm going to keep up with it. That was the biggest lesson I learned from this job. She was very fortunate to get another job. She really was because she was in an area that was shrinking a little bit in terms of her profession. And she herself, again, was another one of these kind of shy, almost a little awkward people. So, um, and I don't say that judgmentally, I just mean that she had a certain comfort level within herself and less so with interacting with other people. So the support that I gave her, the work that she and I both did together really benefited her to get to that next place. And I was just tickled to get that letter from her. I love this, that we're getting into sort of the details of networking. And I'm, I'm curious about what your practices have been. Um, not staying in touch with those closest contacts, but the people who are like the second and third tier out, the people you maybe met at a conference uh, once a year, you see them every year. Maybe it's someone you worked with years ago, former clients that no longer need your services. So do you have any habits or practices that help you not just uh, meet those people, but sustain connection, nurture those relationships? I most certainly do, and I believe very strongly in this, Robbie. Um, Well, there are a few things that I do. I do use social media. I use Facebook, but I don't use Facebook, you know, in the way that some people do where I'm, you know, wishing, you know, a deceased relative a happy birthday or something like that. It's more like I'm on certain groups within Facebook. You and I are on some of those groups together. And I love those professional networks that have developed there. Some of them are people I never even, I've never met in person. Um, so, so Facebook's a great way to keep in touch with people that way. I use LinkedIn a lot to keep in touch with people or at least to post um, interesting articles or make announcements of things I'm involved with. And I've noticed over time that as I increase my network on LinkedIn, that has afforded me a level of of visibility that I think because of their algorithm or whatever, I am more visible that way. So people see what I'm up to. So, um, So I do things like that. You know, drop someone a line, make a quick phone call. I mean, these are simple things. I'm not, I'm not usually someone who goes to a lot of large networking events and things like that. There are some professional networking groups that I've heard about that I'm curious about. I haven't joined yet, but I might. And then 
also, I think what's what we've seen in the last several years is I think a greater proliferation of some of these sort of communities. So, for example, Dory Clark has established, you know, a community of people who have signed up to take some of her courses or who have gotten involved with her professionally. And so through that, I've developed a whole network of people I would never have met otherwise. There are some um, other professional groups out there that I have been involved with, sometimes meetup groups. And then I get invited to speak at certain groups. And so I develop connections that way. So honestly, I've made connections standing online in the grocery store. I mean, there's always an opportunity to meet new people and, um, and to develop those connections. And I think just by meeting people and showing an interest in them and their lives, it's you know, it's you, built so, all kinds you and I are so cut from the same cloth talking about uh, meeting people in line. <laughs> I can do that too. Um, I want to dig a little deeper into Dora Clark's group because there is something magical about this. And I think everybody should find their own version of this for themselves. Um, I have signed up for many uh, programs and courses and content from many different thought leaders or would-be thought leaders uh, in my space. And it hasn't translated but this one time into this incredibly robust uh, professional network. And, and it's something about who was attracted to it, um, how it started small, and it's been nurtured and sustained. Have you made an effort to connect with some people outside of the group, either getting on a Zoom call, meeting them in person? Like, how, how have you actually leveraged, I guess, this amazing... Uh, community that she's attracted so that it goes beyond just Facebook because I think Facebook is a little flat sometimes. Yeah, I I would mirror or share everything you just said. I too have, have with the hope of being engaged in a certain way with a certain community um, through some of the other things that I've joined or paid for. But Dory's group has definitely been um, very different. And I think, I, I can't put my finger on all of it, but I know that the more I show up, and there's different ways to show up. So there are ways to show up right, you know, on the private Facebook group. I think people are pretty responsive that way. And then there are certain individuals within that group who's, let's say they've written an article um, that's been published somewhere, and I read the article and I appreciate the work that a lot of these people are doing, I might send them a private note just telling them that I really liked their article. Or I will reach out and say, hey, I would love to learn a little more about what you're up to. Can we schedule, you know, a time to chat? Um, I figure, what's the worst thing that'll happen? They'll tell me they're busy or that they don't have time or they don't want to chat. I've never had that happen in that group. I'm also a member of another group um, through Fei Wu and the podcaster, the podcasters group, and um, that group too, incredible, you know, really a diverse group of people. We're not all coaches. We're not all in the same business. And yet there's just a spirit of generosity and and a real genuine interest in connection. And so I think you have to, I think, you know, what you do with that is important. But I think before that, what's really important is to simply notice when those opportunities show up. That's and so to true. Step into so them. I know that um, 
how much I get out of these groups is entirely dependent on how much I put in. It's a bank. Um, and one of my starkest examples is that when I was in the process of writing my first book, I posed a question like, a, what was your number one problem with networking at conferences kind of question? And I shared it, I think, in five or six groups. Uh, the most activity was from Dory's group. Um, there's a second group, self-publishing school, that I'm also very active in. That was the second most active group. One other group, I got a couple of responses, and three groups were crickets. And those three groups were groups hmm. that I really hadn't been participating in. And so how could I expect to extract hmm. something from a group I hadn't given to? And it was sort of such a good meta reminder as I'm teaching people about networking. Um, but I guess it makes sense. I can't get, I think it would be hard to be really active and engaged in six groups. Like I would say three or so is probably your limit. And so maybe that's part of the, what people can take from this is think about the groups that they really are enjoying and dig deeper for the next three months in at least one or two of them by showing up, participating, engaging. Um, and that sounds like your experience too. It's that it's not so much that Dory Clark and Fei Wu have done um, something super magical is that the people all kept showing up and you were one of those people as well. Yeah. Well, you know, but they, they have, mm -hmm. I think they've set an example by how they've engaged with people on these groups as well. So I, I do think that they are part of the formula. The other thing though, that I think we're pointing to here that it's vitally important is, and this is something I talk to my clients about all the time is that networking is a reciprocal process. It's not just, especially with job seekers, I have to emphasize this. You're not just networking so that you can get a job lead from somebody else or that you can get something from them. You should also be looking for ways you can offer them something. I think some job seekers, especially when they're feeling vulnerable, don't think they have anything to offer anybody, which is part of the glass is half empty scenario. And so we talk about that and I make suggestions about how they can also give back to the people who they've asked for advice from. Um, and I agree with you about, about the groups that we're both in. I know that I do make extra time sometimes to add an extra comment, not just hit the little like button and send a thumbs up, but to actually articulate some kind of feedback or encouragement or add a perspective to the conversation. And I think that when you do that, you're telling somebody, I hear you, you've been heard. And when people feel heard, they're far more likely mm -hmm. to listen to you as well. And that's, you know, that's relationships. That's what makes the world go round. I also think that we've seen in these groups, um, Trying to think, I think there's a certain amount of vulnerability that's being shared in these private places that isn't seen other places, and that yes. is also why I think we're all able to show up. Um, people asking for feedback, or you know, direction, or support, or you know, can you review this for me? Can you give me th your thoughts on this? Or I have these two choices. Those kinds of uh, inviting people in. The people who offer that, and I say offer that to the group, obviously they're asking for something, but I think that the fact that they're offering that vulnerability and they're, they're, in, they're asking for that kind of support, it's an invitation for others to, to more deeply engage, which sets a tone and allows others to do it. So someone has to venture in first. And I think right. these groups were started out small, it's a little bit easier to do, and as they grow, 
I think that is part of what's working for them is that that's expectations sort of built in. Um, and it's hard to do that in a public forum. That's why these private spaces are so necessary and, and beneficial, right? Absolutely. And I think, you know, not to, 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 I mean, I could go on about how wonderful Dory is, right? But Dory's very generous. You know, she, she, um, she really does participate and she exudes a kind of generous spirit in the way that she engages people. And I think that inspires other people to share their wisdom. And I agree with you also, there's a generosity in the way people show up as vulnerable too. And vulnerable being, gee, I don't know enough about this. You know, rather than sort of shrinking away and saying, oh, I don't want people to know I don't know something, so I don't want to let them know I don't know it. But then what happens when I don't know it? Well, you don't get anywhere, right? Uh So I I love the tone of that group. It just, and and, and Faye's group as well. I'm just so... um, I'm tickled that I found these groups and that I feel like I found a, a, a professional forum. And in my experience in some professional groups with just coaches, I felt I have felt limited. Um, it, there's something very expansive about being in a group of people who actually have somewhat distinct and different professional pathways and professional goals. And yet there's there is something that we all share in common about where we're headed and what we're trying to do. So it's, it's just been um, really, really wonderful. And I'm going to stick with it as long as it lasts. Well, I think that you're, uh, you're talking here about the, the diversity of a network and to look for and seek those opportunities. Um, if you see, you know, sometimes you're the person who's bringing people together for a dinner or for an event, and you're making sure there's a lot of diversity in attendance. But um, more often than not, there are people in your network already doing that work. So, so gravitate towards that. If you see yep. it, say yes. If, if it's a yes. little outside your comfort zone, say yes, because that's an mm-hmm. indicator that you're, you're probably about to walk into something pretty amazing that you can find yeah. anywhere else. I love that. I love what you're saying about that. You know, when you see it say yes, it's like, you know, there may be times in the past where you would have hesitated to say yes. And I love the idea that, you know, just notice that little underlying feeling of excitement that might feel like fear. But if you think about it, fear and excitement can be very similar. And so I notice that in myself more often than not. And when I feel a little fearful, but I also feel this sort of spark of excitement, just all I have to do is just tip myself over the edge a little bit and push myself into it. And it usually pays off, you know, in terms of maybe a new relationship or a new connection or maybe even some new business. But it, 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 it's never failed me. That's for sure. Well, I feel like that's something that people can really try to cultivate for themselves. That's a really great takeaway because it's something you can, you have a lot of opportunities to, to test that. Um, Absolutely, and if, yeah. and if, you if you don't quite follow through the first, second, or third, or fourth time, like you know, you can constantly have that in the back of your head that this is something you're trying to push yourself to do a little bit more of. Um, I'm not saying if you do a year of saying yes to everything, <laughs> but <laughs> you could just be more open, and I think we'd all um, we all get a little more out of that. So I'm going to now tell you, uh, I said yes to something that makes me a little scared. I said yes being part of dancing with the professors. <laughs> 
<laughs> I live. What? I know. I live on a college campus, and my wife was asked to be part of this showcase called Dancing of the Professors, and so they wanted to include the family, and it made me feel um, a little out of sorts. And I said, uh, <laughs> "Yes, because that'll be fun. It'll be a great memory with my wife, and my kids are going to be involved." So. I practice what I preach, people. I'm not telling you that uh, I'm sitting up over here not doing that. I really believe that we have to sort of open ourselves up to new opportunities. um, And and you never know. And so there's speaking of opportunities, I want to know, like, if we and I are connecting and checking in about how great your past year has been. We're talking next year, right? We're Mm. reflecting on this incredible year you've had, all your achievements. So tell me, Tammy, what are we going to be celebrating? Well, we will be celebrating uh, the one-year anniversary of my podcast launching, um, Work From the Inside Out. That would be a big celebration. And we would celebrate how that podcast has evolved from the beginnings of interviewing lots of people who have made, um, you know, really both exciting but very pragmatic uh, career transitions and job changes, but also translating some of that podcast into doing live coaching and really getting people a sense of what is it like to be coached and to give people a taste for what it's like to see something in process like that. Um, I think we're also going to be looking at the launch of either some kind of online course or mastermind group that I will be offering and uh, a fuller calendar with speaking engagements. And I, my, my vision for the coming year, or as, as if you were asking me to reflect back on the past year as if it's next year, um, would be that I will have really moved my work and my life from um, really serving a small number of people to a much larger population of people. I really, I really want to spread spread this stuff like like fairy dust all over everybody. That's so great. <laughs> That's so great. And I I've been very honored that you've invited me into that process and really enjoyed seeing the evolution as we've been working together. Um, so I think we actually mentioned this, but Tammy's a, a client slash former client of mine. I can't get rid of her. So keep showing up. You won't get rid yeah, of me. And, um, and so it's been wonderful to sort of see you develop these plans and uh, get clarity about that and then and actually build the vision um, and step forward into your brilliance. And it's been um, just a joy. So I can't wait to see it as it unfolds, reflect on it a year from now. So Tammy, how can people find you and follow your work? Well, they can find me um, by uh, going to my website, www.tammygoolerlobe.com, which I know will also be in your show notes. And or you can go to um, workfromtheinsideout.com, which will also take you to the podcast uh, page on my website. And I just want to add one more little tidbit, if that's okay with you, Robbie. I am 58 years old. I am not at the beginning of my career. I'm not probably even in the middle of my career. I'm probably, you know, well over 50% of my career. And here I am talking about launching things and moving things forward. And I really want to 
spread the message that your life doesn't just begin and end or your work life doesn't just begin and end by a certain age. I'm not saying I'm old, but I'm older than some. And yet I'm still looking forward to growing and developing and furthering this work. So I I just had to share that because I think sometimes when people talk about growing and developing things, they think that they have to start it at a younger age. Mm -hmm. And I started this 20 some odd years ago as a coach, but um, I'm still moving in directions that I am totally excited about. That's great. And I... I think that's why you're an ideal client of mine. I love, I love, I love meeting uh, women who are ready to do that. And while their friends might be slowing down and talking about retirement coming up in a decade, you're like, nope, I'm digging in, I'm doing more. Um, So it's so exciting. Um, I will have links to uh, what you mentioned in the show notes. I will also have a link to your LinkedIn, your Twitter. Um, Oh, thank you. You're welcome. And, uh, This has been just a great conversation, Tammy. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Tammy. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 122. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's episode. The next cohort for the MORE program for entrepreneurial women begins in January, and there is only one spot left. It's a six-month program to help you take your business to the next level with a relationship-based business plan. The early bird offer of one-third off expires on December 15th, so check out the details at robbysamuels.com forward slash more. And let's find a time to chat about whether working together will help you achieve greater impact and increased income. Interested in one-on-one coaching? I offer a few different options. Reach out and we can schedule a complimentary chat to see how I can help you. If you enjoyed this episode with Tammy, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I would love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on the way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.